Welcome to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages every week. These powerful messages are sure to inspire you and keep you on track. Whether it's our late founder, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, or any of your favorite fellowship leaders worldwide, including Pastors Joe Campbell, Paul Stevens, Mark Olson, Tom Payne, Harold Warner, Richard Ruby, and many more, get ready to hear from God through this message. Well, good morning to everybody. A little more intimidating than I thought it would be. Amen. Uh, God is good. It is goes without saying, it's an amazing honor uh, to be here and to preach in this setting. And we're going to believe God this morning. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to believe God this morning. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 4 in your Bibles. <clears throat> you know, certain things culminate in every generation. In the first century, it was a culmination of a previous period of time where the voice of God was not active, and then Jesus comes on the scene and he encounters and confronts many strongholds from the religious landscape to the spiritual landscape of people's lives. And society in Jesus' day could be summarized as a culmination of the previous years between Malachi and his arrival on the scene and the many bondages and strongholds that were deeply entrenched in that day, I believe that we as a society today are at a culmination point involving humanity, that the issues of humanity are great and sometimes even overwhelming. And when you think of it in the context of ministry and churches and our calling, this can be a very staggering and a daunting task. You know, people are coming into the church deeply broken, damaged, disillusioned, filled with all manner of dysfunction. We're talking about bondages and strongholds that go very deep and they are the result of the violations of life and the deep levels of sin that people have lived and been involved in and dysfunctions of families and broken homes and generational curses. But Jesus came and he proclaimed a level of ministry. And when he came... It, Think, I want you to think as I read this text because Jesus summarizes his ministry in this one verse of scripture. And what he came to fulfill and minister, it was a purposed, very particular manner that is still very much the answer for humanity today and needs a purpose-focused approach by you and I, God's people and what Jesus spoke concerning his purpose and calling must be our commitment. And the results you're going to find are very powerful. They're going to aid in building God's church. There are things you're frustrated about that what I'm going to minister on is going to help aid in the process. And I believe that this scripture that we're reading is meant to transcend Jesus' personal calling and into our lives, and not just the select few that somehow have a monopoly on healing and deliverance, but the people of God. And I want to preach out of Luke 4, verse 18. I want to preach a sermon called Fulfilling the Ministry of Jesus. One verse of Scripture, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Fulfilling the ministry of Jesus. I want to first talk about the human condition with you this morning. So in this text, Jesus refers to the spiritual condition of humanity. And as he describes his calling, he reveals the afflictions and bondages that are concerning the human soul. Poor, broken-hearted, blind, oppressed. These are primarily spiritual conditions. When Jesus spoke of a people oppressed, this word has two primary meanings, depending on where it's used. In our text, it's referring to those who are bruised or deeply afflicted in life. And then in Acts 10.38, we find the word, and it means being dominated by Satan. The Bible says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed or dominated by the devil. So when Jesus entered his generation, we could say that Satan had run unabated for a long time. And he afflicted humanity with all manner of demonic yokes. And when Jesus came on the scene, he began to confront those. And I want you to take a note as I go forward here because they... When Jesus came on the scene and began to bring deliverance to humanity, people began to flock towards that. They ran towards that. People will begin to run where deliverance is taking place. You know, we're facing a generation of people that are bearing the brunt of a culmination of things. This generation has bore the brunt of the absent father, the broken home, and very deep woundings and severe areas of rejection and wearing the marks of the traumas of life, and you couple this with being disillusioned in things like gender and marriage and religion, and it really is staggering what's happening to humanity today. Now, I'm a, a drill instructor in two of our boot camps, and, and I get a firsthand glimpse of the young people on a different level. And it really is heartbreaking when you begin to encounter and hear the stories of these kids and where they've been in their very short-lived lives, the traumas, the deep rejections, the identity crises due to broken homes and absent fathers, their confused gender identity many times due to the violations perpetrated against them. And when Isaiah used a particular language to describe the spiritual condition of God's people, I think it really does show what we're dealing with In Isaiah 1, verse 6, From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they've been not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. So this really does describe massive elements of humanity today, spiritually bankrupt, no soundness in them. The afflictions and the wounds and the sores and the bruises that have not been healed because there is no healing outside of Christ. And we will fail our churches and we will fail our generation if we're not bringing deliverance to them. And deliverance doesn't just happen, it is a contended dimension. I want to talk to you, and I phrase this in a way to hopefully put a picture in your mind. Secondly, saved but not free. 
Because this describes segments of members of every single congregation represented here. Saved but not free. Now I make this call often at altar calls. And I'm always amazed at how many people will lift their hand to identify that I am saved but not free. I want you to note it's not just new converts. It's across the spectrum of age groups, physically and spiritually. You know, deliverance is a widespread need in the kingdom of God. From the very smallest of our churches to the very largest of our churches. From the new convert to the seasoned saint, this is a very large, widespread need. And, you know, the truth is that many deep elements of our lives, that we, things we've been through, things we've encountered in life, they're able to survive deep into our salvation. You know, people live with all sorts of different dysfunctions. Some of this is the result of their upbringing and the events of life. One of the things that I encounter more than probably anything else is the deep wounds of rejection. We're talking about the levels of sins committed against and committed by the people that sit in our churches that while we're saved and right with God, Holy Ghost filled, love the Word of God, there are areas of bondage and affliction that have survived our conversion. And they create these powerful yokes that we deal with. I had a long-term member of 30 plus years walk into my office one time. Tremendous individual, highly respected. He walks into my office and he sits down and he begins to weep. And as he's weeping, he begins to convey how the day before God had visited him. And this was something he dealt with on and off again for the entire 30 plus years of his salvation. I don't know what it was, I didn't ask. But he says, God brought powerful deliverance to me yesterday in this area of my life after all these years of salvation. Yokes. You know, think about the people under the leadership of Moses. Because they needed the initial deliverance from Egypt, just like when we get people saved. But they also needed a deliverer for many years to come in many different junctures along the way. Because the truth is that the demonic elements that we're dealing with constantly are seeking to find a place to develop yokes and strongholds, and they're very active all the time. My daughter and my son-in-law were just sent to Medford, Oregon to take over a church there. And when they got there and got in their house, there were all these spider webs in their garage and all these spiders everywhere. And they took a broom and began to get rid of all the spider webs. And there was one particular web and it had a big black widow on it. And so this black widow left into its hole. And so my daughter figured, well, I'll destroy its web so it won't come back. She destroyed the web, and by the next morning, that web was completely rebuilt all over again. Because the truth is, you have to destroy something deeper. There are yokes, there are demonic realities that have to be broken. And this is what I've come to realize, is that there comes a point that the longer people deal with demonic yokes and afflictions without some sort of deliverance, the more they will try to normalize them rather than get free of them. But this will afflict them for a long time to come. And this will frustrate the process of their salvation and what pastors are trying to accomplish. And as I'm going to describe shortly, 
what happens when people hold on to these is that they become a part of their personality. And we are called to address these bondages with a message of deliverance and a demonstration of power. It's a very frequent occurrence at altar calls to pray a prayer of deliverance and people begin to freak out because they literally physically felt something leave their body. I was in Hobbs, New Mexico about a month and a half ago and there was a young man, 20 years old or so. We prayed a prayer of deliverance at that altar and then he came to me after the altar and he's a bit shaken and you could see a little spooked in his face. And he said, what was that? I said, what do you mean? He says, I felt something leave my body. And so this young man was dealing with a demonic yoke and he didn't even realize it. And so many people are dealing with these elements of the demonic and don't realize and have simply learned how to live with it or just say that's just the way I've always been or normalize it or have no discernment over it. It was a young single mother of about 28 years old and she approached me after an altar call one night and she's shaken, she's emotionally distraught and, and I'm trying to get a grasp on what's going on and, 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 and this girl was raised in church. Her father at one time had been a pastor but she had had some failures in her life. And along the way, and, and she didn't realize at the time, but along the way, the demonic realm took advantage of these arenas of her life, these events, these failures. She's now back in the church. She's right with God. She's been living for God for some time, but she's dealing with anxiety off the charts constantly. She's there that day, and we lead her in a simple prayer. Had no idea what to expect. And the power of God fell on this girl. And I'm telling you, it was so demonstrative what God did that she couldn't even hold herself up. We had to sit her in a chair. It took about 10 minutes for her to regain her strength. But when she came all together in her faculty, she was so powerfully delivered. When she's walking out of the church, the pastor saw her and said, something's different about her. Yeah, she just got set free. Amen. See, listen to me, because she wasn't just dealing with her failure and her emotions. She was dealing with a demonic yoke. It had taken advantage of an arena of her life, and she needed deliverance. These people sit in our congregations. They are saved, but not free. Jeremiah is directed to go down to the potter's house. Jeremiah 18, 3 and 4. And then I went to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel he made was of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. So here's God. He's seen as working with this damaged clay. He doesn't discard it when it manifests dysfunction, when it causes problems. But God's goal was to restore it. It says here to make it again into another vessel as it seems good to him. See, here's God's vision and commitment to the people of God. This is how God views the people of our churches. Yes, they can be a mess, sometimes a big mess. But I would say many of them fall into the category of saved but not free. And let me say this, this is a, a, a passing note. 
You know, we press to get people water baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost early, and I am fully on board with that. But I believe we ought to add deliverance to that equation. Getting people delivered as early as possible in their walk with God. And I believe it needs more pulpit time. Because if this is what defined Jesus' ministry, according to the text I read, then I believe it needs more of our attention and more of our time and more of our priority in the order of our ministry. Because oftentimes people are sitting in our churches and they're sitting with demonic strongholds that are holding them back from being fully surrendered to God. And when I say that, I understand that some of that is self-induced through people's decisions and carnality. But I also know that sometimes these are things that people have carried all their lives. They pick them up along the way through the events and the issues of life and they're there and they're real and people are dealing with them. I was in San Pedro, California, earlier part of this year, I believe it was. There was a man somewhere between 25 and 30 years old, and he would frequent that congregation. But he never fully got his footing there, and, and at times he would create a lot of frustration and agitation. But he had been coming for a couple of years. Sometimes he would seem to do really well. Other times he was just a problem child. So we're there in that revival, and Sunday morning, Sunday night, we're striking the tone of deliverance. And so that night, they have a tradition there in San Pedro to go to the uh, food truck across the street and eat. So we're all there, most of the church is there, and this individual's there. And I'm off to the side, and the disciples come and said, hey, this brother wants you to pray for him for deliverance. I said, sure. Don't know what it's about, don't know what I'm dealing with. Go to him and begin to question him. He's got a lot of anger. He's got some addictions that he's got to deal with. And so begin to lead him in a prayer. And it initiated something so much deeper. This man had been carrying an internalized demon. This man was demon-possessed. And it initiated this demon right there in front of the food truck and all the world to see. All the disciples catch on to this, and it was quite a scene. I told Brother Chris, I said, you couldn't have scripted a deliverance revival any better than to start with this. Uh, but that man got powerfully set free there in, on that sidewalk, and he was left for dead. He wasn't dead, he was delivered. I don't know if he knew, I didn't know, I don't think the pastor knew that this man was carrying a demonic spirit within for all these years, it was agitating him. And that final night of that revival, I sat with that man. And I'm talking with him, and he's just very humble, very different than he was before. And he begins to share with me the deep rejection he had suffered growing up and the anger that developed, and out of that, his drug addictions, uh, and out of that came the demon that got in him. These people frequent our churches, saved at times, but not free. I don't know if he was fully saved, but certainly not free. I can point to two people in the El Paso church during my time on staff. And one of the ladies was attending the church for over two years, maybe close to three, she and her husband. There were issues we were dealing with her on, but we could never seem to nail down what was causing these manifestations. And, and we administered on a number of occasions, gone, prayed over their home, and, and to no avail, they were still there. And the visitation pastor, Ernie Lopez, and I went to the house one day, and I told them I have an inclination we're going to go with. And I asked her straight, I said, look, I feel like perhaps you picked up a demon somewhere along the way. 
She goes, I think you're right. Well, do you want to get delivered? Yes. And so we prayed deliverance for her right there in her kitchen with her husband. Three demons came out of that woman. She'd sat in our church. She'd been there. She was interacting. She went, came to two, sometimes three services a week, and yet was dealing with demons. Another young man, close to 30 years old, Unfortunately, it culminated in a night where he totally blew his testimony. But as I got a hold of him and began to hone in, this man told me, he goes, I have, in the two years that I've been in church and saved and serving God, there's not one day that I haven't felt an overwhelming urge to go and drink alcohol. Well, how many know that's not normal? That's not a normal temptation. Well, the same inclination asked this man. He says, I think I do. And sure enough, I took the the youth pastor this time, and we went into the Sunday school room and cast out this demon of alcohol, and it was very demonstrative. Uh, this man sat in our church, demon-possessed. And they learned how to live with these demons because they didn't know what to do with them. They had gotten them when they were kids because I asked them. Somehow these survived that prayer that someone prayed for them for salvation at the altar. I'm sitting on the stage Sunday night in El Paso on my week off, and I'm taking the offering. I'm looking out, and I, and I spot this young couple. And they're worshiping God. They're dressed in church clothes. They've got a good spirit. And the thing is, I know about this couple is four months ago, he had more demons than you could count. They brought him into the church. He had been off and on in the church. Took Brother Mike Major, Ernie Lopez, they're on the staff there, and they can witness to me that I don't exaggerate the story. We begin to cast demons out of this guy, one after the other, until we got to the demon of all demons. And it was very powerful that the power of God smote that man. And now here he is sitting there dressed for church. He got married to his girlfriend, and he's totally free. Now let's not forget the part of the Great Commission is casting out demons. Now, before I produce a bunch of demon hunters, <laughs> listen to me. If you and I are actively pressing into the realm of the supernatural and initiating the authority of God, you're not going to have to go looking for them. They will present themselves. Now, there's so much of what we are trying to accomplish in our churches that can be accelerated through deliverance. I kind of got a bit of a keen understanding as I was ministering there in San Antonio for Moses Aguilar. And I can't say that anything in particular was off the charts, amazing. You know, people are definitely getting touched. There was definitely a level of deliverance taking place. But I did not expect what happened. And I didn't even know what had happened until after I had left. And a couple of weeks later, I get a testimony. But it gave me a keen understanding to what I'm preaching this morning. And so here's this church, a good church, good people saved, filled with God, love God, faithful. They were in a bit of a, a, a rut trying to get some things through. We've been there. We've all been there. Didn't go in and preach on prayer in particular or outreach in particular. Just preached on getting people free. And they were getting free and God was moving. And then I get this testimony back that something had activated in the church. 
Areas like their outreach, all of a sudden this new life and their prayer meetings more animated, their church attendance jumped by the next Sunday. Something happened in the final night of that revival, which would be the highlight, I would say, was a man that got saved, but there would be nothing that would tell you that there would be more than just, you know, what we're used to, and then we work with them and get them going. He got saved, he got up, got a powerful demonstrative deliverance. You'd have had to have been there to see it. And then got baptized in the Holy Spirit, all in the same altar call. Well, he was responsible for bringing a multitude of people that next Sunday, and something shifted. And one of the members of that congregation came and said, something shifted in us. We have a new energy. It wasn't because of some amazing preaching or some amazing... It was because people were getting delivered. Listen to me. Deliverance accelerated what they were trying to accomplish. As the membership of the church was getting delivered, it liberated something in that church. I'm not suggesting to any pastor that you don't preach on issues and challenge your church as needed. But I would suggest you try deliverance a little more often. Because you're going to be surprised how many things people are battling on a regular basis... Demonic yokes that are actively working while you're preaching. Just received a very long note from a long-standing member, four-year, or a, a woman married with four kids, long-standing member, and she begins to convey this bondage level of fear she's been dealing with for many, uh, many months, actually over a year. She's been silent in this oppressive battle and she's now coming forth seeking to get help, saved but not free. There's a young lady, married, great couple, great conversion, probably about two years into their salvation, maybe a year and a half. They're a great couple, but she has this intense, overwhelming jealousy problem. It's oppressive. The more that you counsel it, the worse it got. And I'm standing in the back of the church one day, and they're walking towards me, and I just have that inclination, and I pulled them aside. I said, sis, I want to pray with you different this time. I want to pray a prayer of deliverance with you. I don't know what we're dealing with. I don't know what's going to happen. All I can tell you is that God fell on that girl. Something broke, a yoke, a very obvious yoke broke, and, and an amazing thing happened. This gave me a tremendous insight from that point forward. Because all of a sudden, this thing that was off the charts, the more you counseled it, the worse it got, became manageable. Wasn't totally gone. But the demon was gone that was agitating the whole thing. And how many know once you deal with the demonic element, you have a manageable element. And now the counseling begin to work. Uh, the preaching begin to work. Uh, sometimes, church, we're trying to minister and counsel things that require deliverance. Author Larry Richards said, before demonization, a person has natural fears common to humanity. After demonization, those fears become tormenting and controlling. Before demonization, a person has sin problems common to humanity. After demonization, the person becomes a slave to certain sins. We're talking about people that are saved but not free. I was in Springfield, Oregon just this past week or week and a half ago. And something took place, and you know, you learn things as you go along. And this man had gotten saved on Monday, and then Tuesday night, 
we're praying for injuries that were not healed. And he's brand new. He's 55 years old. So I pull him on the stage. And I figured we could get a healing in this guy to stir faith. And so go about the business of this. And the minute that we initiated the prayer, something else happened. A manifestation took place. This man had been carrying, and I didn't know, the pastor told me after that service that the Monday night he dropped a, a dope pipe on the, on the altar. And a, a demonstrative deliverance takes place, and we have to kind of capture him back up again. And immediately he, he had this injury in his back he's had since he's a kid. He's 55. He begins to swing his arm. I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And then immediately there's a woman at the altar She's trying to get my attention. She's been a member of the church for some time. I said, what's the matter, dear lady? And she rips her mask off. She says, something just left me. Something just left me. And then she says, my back popped. Uh, and a long-standing injury was completely healed in that moment. Now listen to me. We're talking about the coordinating of deliverance that begins to liberate other areas that we're struggling with, areas that maybe even praying for people to get healed, they're not, you might venture into the deliverance mode. But I also begin to understand something about the authority of Christ, because we all have the authority of Christ. It's ours. We just have to use it. And as that authority was being wielded, the demon on that woman had to respond, and a very powerful altar call took place. Amen. Very deep elements of lives. There's a liberating that will take place in a congregation as people are regularly ministered to on a deliverance level. Many frustrated pastors that are trying to preach breakthrough into your church, and I'm not at all demeaning that, but if you're hitting a wall, try mixing in some deliverance and see what happens. Profound things will happen, I can promise you that. And I can just tell you this before I conclude. The message of deliverance resonates from the newest convert to the oldest saint in your church, from the pioneer church to the longest standing leadership church. Now I want to conclude with talking about fulfilling the ministry of Jesus. So in this text, Jesus proclaims his ministry and calling. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, this is his ministry statement. So, so I want you to think about that. He defines his ministry as one that is heavily focused on deliverance and healing, and not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. And this has been transferred to you and I. Now, I'm sure that everyone here at one point maybe has either heard the scripture or used it yourself. Freely you have received, freely give. Well, this has a context and an expectation to it. And it's found in Matthew 10, 7 and 8. As you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So there's the context and the expectation that Jesus, on the one hand, he gives us his authority. What that means is he grants us permission to use his power. 
Freely you have received this, freely give it. Amen. There is an expectation to you and I that we would fulfill this ministry that Jesus came and began to bring to humanity. Not as some side thing or some event-oriented thing we do, but I'm talking about as something that flows through our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit that we, the people of God, will bring others in contact with God's healing and deliverance on a frequent basis. It needs to flow from our hearts and be woven into our message. So I want to give you three things as I conclude. Three elements that must be at work if we're going to fulfill this ministry of Jesus. And they're all found in Jesus' ministry. And the first of those is compassion. All that Jesus did and accomplished was motivated by compassion. Now if you don't preach on deliverance with compassion, you may not be very effective. Because it has to mean something to you that people get free. Compassion requires that what others are dealing with matters to you. And people instinctively know when you really care, and our preaching and our witnessing will bear or reveal this. Compassion will cause you to preach the hope of the gospel in a compelling manner. I don't know about you, but early in the ministry, I had a very hard time preaching on hope and love. There's things missing in me. But compassion will add this to you. Compassion will connect your message to the soul of people, not just to the intellect of people. And when you start preaching to the soul of people, something radically changes because inner healing takes place. It's through compassion that the divine love of God flows. It will flow from our soul to their soul and it will minister on a very deep level and the results will be profound. But you cannot minister effectively to people you are angry with or indifferent towards. Without compassion, your commitment to people's deliverance will at best be an experiment and you'll move on. We are called to fulfill the ministry of Jesus. I want to quote John G. Lake. I believe the greatest thing that Jesus showed the world was how to exercise compassion for one another. The law of Moses that preceded Jesus was exacting in his demands. All the law is. That's the nature of the law. But Jesus undertook to reveal to us the Father's heart to the world. The greatest movement in the soul of God himself was that movement of compassion for a needy world which was so great that the word says God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life the necessity of compassion secondly you're going to need an anointing the Bible says in our text the spirit of the Lord is upon me he has anointed me we're talking about Holy Spirit anointing through people set apart for God's use. As the prophet Isaiah put it, the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. And what this generation needs is anointed ministry that invades the depths of people's souls. Amen. I believe that just by preaching, if you and I can have the level of redemption at heart and the level of the mind of God under anointing, I believe that through preaching, 
people can be getting delivered during the message. This should be both in our personal witness and in the pulpit. There's so many people that will sit and listen to us preach week in and week out. And they are bearing these powerful yokes and dealing with powerful demonic forces that can so be helped through an anointing upon our lives that would initiate the presence of God and would become the climate of our altar calls. See, we need altar calls saturated in the presence of God. This comes through the anointing. It doesn't come through all of our amazing ability. But there's an anointing that will initiate the presence of God. And I'm telling you, if you can get people in God's presence, it will do far more than you and I can do in a million messages. David Wilkerson that preached a sermon on anointing in the latter days of his ministry. And, and in this, he was lamenting this period of his life in ministry that he had lost the anointing. And as he's preaching, it's so compelling because you can feel this, this pool upon you as he's lamenting the days of his loss when he functioned purely out of know-how and, and out of the arm of his flesh and And he was calling the church to regain their anointing. See, we're talking about something that will produce an atmosphere that is drenched in the presence of God. So thick and powerful that God has total liberty in hearts and powerful deliverance can take place just by virtue of the anointing and the presence of God that's flowing in a congregation. Finally, we must be bringing people in contact with God's power. See, Jesus didn't simply proclaim this statement in our text as a bunch of cliches like a lot of the religious world did. But Jesus fulfilled these words and this calling with power. It was a demonstration. You know, we live in a very therapeutic generation. Everyone's looking for the emotional connection. And we have to be very careful. On the one hand, it's a very powerful aspect that can work in your favor, but it can get away from you really fast. But what people really need is they need an encounter with the power of God. And you and I must be the oracles of God's power. I'm talking about God falling upon an altar and doing so much more than we can. When God falls at an altar, it's now out of our hands. God is doing something. He's now working on a supernatural level. I got a piece of advice from a brother in the El Paso church once. We were, uh, it was a Wednesday night and the altar call. And it was one of those altar calls. And you wish you could bottle it up and produce it every time. It was just one of those. And, and apparently I had rushed to the next segment. And he was right. He was absolutely right. I did. And he didn't say it in a rebuke. He just said, brother, when that happens, give us more time in God's presence. This is the people of God saying that. Give us more time because God's doing something. See, there are certain subjects that are near and dear to God's heart. I can tell you this much. When we contend to maintain a redemptive element in what we do and contend to get people delivered and the sinner saved, God will fall on that altar. I challenge you, some of you perhaps have not preached a delivered sermon in many moons. I challenge you to go back and preach a delivered sermon and watch what I'm talking about. You watch the powerful grace that's going to fall on that altar and what God's going to do. See, the altars of our churches need to be a place where God's power is at work. 
being poured out and bringing people into contact with God and initiating powerful deliverance and healing that can take place just because His presence is there. And you know the other thing that will be accompanied with this? It's true repentance. This is really what we're after, right? See, it's God's Spirit and presence that produces true repentance. It's not us finagling and pressing and praying. No, God has to produce that. And when God is initiated upon an altar, that begins to take place and it will come when we are committed to being vessels that are set on fulfilling the ministry of Jesus. This is the challenge set before us. This was the ministry of deliverance that Jesus entered into. When he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and began to give this statement, it was a ministry of deliverance and healing accompanied by compassion anointing, and a demonstration of God's power. And every one of us here is called to that element of ministry. Not only does this generation need it, but our churches need it. And I can tell you this much, and and you have to take it for wherever you're at. I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm just saying that if you'll do this more often, you're going to begin to see some things that you're very frustrated about begin to break in your church just by virtue of God bringing freedom to some some people. If this was a priority and a focus of Jesus' ministry, I think we should give it deep thought. It needs to be ours because deliverance has the ability to liberate congregations, shift a gear, and accomplish things that we are frustrated about. And You and I need to be about the business of fulfilling Jesus' ministry. Can you say amen? That's all I have. Brother Willis Gordon, would you come? Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.